You're listening to Comedy Central. February 13, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is an actor and comedian whose new movie is called Olympic Dreams. Nick Kroll is joining us on the show, everyone. Also on tonight's show, Mike Bloomberg is up against the wall, Roy Wood Jr. takes us to the Chitlin circuit, and why your airplane seat could get you punched. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with climate change. Antarctica is currently seeing record-breaking warm weather. But if you're thinking about going there for a picnic, you better be careful about where you sit. A massive iceberg about three times the size of the city of Paris has broken off a glacier in Antarctica. Satellite images show the iceberg breaking away from the Pine Island Glacier in recent days. It comes as temperatures on the Antarctic Peninsula spike to a record 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists also captured this moment when a glacier recently collapsed in the very same region. Take a look at that. Wow, giant chunks of Antarctica are breaking off You know who I blame for this? Harry and Meghan. Now, everyone's trying to be independent. (laughs) I wanna be my own iceberg, I'm out! (laughs) And guys, honestly, I don't know how we're going to stop Antarctica from melting. Like, we either fight to lower global temperatures or we send icebergs to black churches so they can learn how to cool themselves off. Ooh, ooh, baby, you melting because of the devil. And did you hear them say that this iceberg is three times the size of Paris? I don't actually know how big that is. (laughs) And I don't know why the news does that. Why are they giving me measurements that require me to travel to Europe, huh? So what, now I have to go wander around Paris three times to understand? Right, that's not practical. And it's gonna get boring, because the first time you see the Mona Lisa, it's amazing. By the third time, you're just like, why is that creepy lady staring at me? (laughs) If you need a creative measurement, it's a giant block of ice. So just tell me what it is in ice terms, you know? Like, how many frozen margaritas are we talking? That's what I wanna know. (laughs) Or if you can't be helpful as the news, have some fun with it. You know, they should be like, scientists say the glacier is so big, it's the size of your mama's panties. Oh! (laughs) Anyway, climate change is gonna kill us all. Let's move on. (laughs) Airplanes. They used to be a magical way to travel in style. But these days, they're so cramped and frustrating, it's turning into fight club in the sky. A passenger on a recent American Airlines flight says a man assaulted her by continuously punching her seat. See that guy back there punching that woman's seat? So that is Wendy Williams sitting in the seat there. She said the man initially asked her to recline up while he ate. She says she obliged, and when the man was done eating, she reclined back again. That's when she said he kept hammering away at the back of her seat. You could just see him punching, 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 punching. In a statement to CBS News, American Airlines says they are aware of this and looking into the issue. Really, people? (laughs) This is just childish. And I mean for both of these passengers. First of all, guy punching, right? If this woman is reclining into your space, you don't hit the back of her seat. Come on, grow up, do the mature thing. You call the flight attendant over and you tell them you saw this lady putting drugs up her butt. That's what you do. 
And as for the reclining woman, do you really need to recline, huh? Does that extra two inches help you relax? Huh? There's nothing relaxing about flying. You're trapped inside a bullet full of farts. Just sit upright for a couple of hours. I, I don't understand these fights. If you ask me, these two passengers shouldn't be mad at each other. They should be mad at the airline. Think about it. They're the ones who keep squeezing all those seats closer and closer, making the rest of us fight for the overhead bins and all the space. Pretty soon, flying is gonna turn into the Hunger Games. Yeah, they're just gonna put one bag of pretzels in the aisle and be like, all right, passengers, lunch has been served. May the odds be ever in your favor. He's running in there, killing each other. All right, and finally, do you enjoy those epic wildlife shots where animals are caught in a moment of natural splendor? Well, first of all, congratulations on being basic. And also, you gotta see this one. Two mice fighting may not sound like wildlife. Try telling that to photographer Sam Rowley. His image capturing two mice fighting on a London subway platform has won a prestigious award for wildlife photography from London's Natural History Museum. Station Squabble was picked from more than 48,000 images. Rowley says he spent five nights lying on the ground at London's underground stations to capture that moment. Yo, that picture is adorable! <laughs> How did he catch them fighting like that? I almost wonder if he was going around to the mice and stirring shit up, just like, yo, he called you Stuart Little. You gonna take that? You gonna take that? And that fight looks intense. I wonder what they were fighting over, you know? Was it food? Or maybe one of the mice kept reclining his seat? I told you I need more room! <laughs> What's amazing is that the photographer says he had to lay on the ground for five nights just to get that one shot. Yeah, I guess that's London though. Cause if he came to New York, he'd be seeing rats on day one. <laughs> yeah. In fact, by day five, the rats would have beaten his ass and taken his camera. <laughs> so he's like, give me that. Now, a lot of people were surprised that this photo won a wildlife award, but this is wildlife. In fact, I'll be honest, I've seen enough of the Serengeti and the Amazon now. I hope the next episode of Planet Earth looks more like this. On today's Planet Earth, two rats are about to throw down. After a brief tussle, the loser turns his bitch-ass tail to run. But the winning rat pursues. Because you'd best not start what you can't finish. Bitch. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. The Democratic primary campaign. When it started, it was all kumbaya. Let's beat Trump together. But now it's turned into a season of Game of Thrones. Everyone backstabbing. The House of Bernie has grown in strength and size. <laughs> while facing a challenge from the kingdom of Buttigieg. <laughs> Meanwhile, the once powerful Lord Biden is slowly watching his influence slip away. And don't forget, once they're all done fighting each other, they will have to face off against the ultimate enemy, the White King. But just like Game of Thrones, there's one character who's been off in the wings plotting the whole time, the imp. You see, National polls now have billionaire Mike Bloomberg moving into third place. And President Trump has taken notice of this big little threat, and he's already trying to defeat him in a trial by Twitter. 
A Twitter war heating up between President Trump and one of the men who wants to take his job. The president took aim at former mayor Mike Bloomberg, saying Mini Mike is a five foot four massive dead energy who does not want to be on the debate stage with these professional politicians. No boxes, please. Bloomberg responded, writing, we know many of the same people in New York. Behind your back, they laugh at you and call you a carnival barking clown. They know you inherited a fortune and squandered it with stupid deals and incompetence. I have the record and the resources to defeat you, and I will. Oh! 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 This is crazy. Two mega rich dudes dissing each other in the most personal way. It would be like if a rap battle was on CNBC. <laughs> and the sad part, the sad part for me is that billionaire feuds used to be so much more dignified, you know? Yeah, back in the day, it wasn't on Twitter. They'd be like, Mr. Trump, I have commissioned a devastating opera that disparages both you and your lineage. Be like, well, Master Bloomberg, at this very moment, a team of artisans is sculpting a middle finger from the world's finest Italian marble. In eight to nine months, you will be truly owned. <laughs> but right now, Donald Trump is the least of Mike Bloomberg's problems. See, the real threat to Bloomberg's campaign is his past. Mike Bloomberg facing new criticism tonight amid audio that has surfaced on the controversial policy of stop and frisk. Bloomberg is under fire tonight after a 2015 speech surfaced where he defends his controversial stop and frisk policy and explained why cops are put in minority neighborhoods. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit in one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. We put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way she got the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. Wow. That is not a good look. Hmm? Think about it. While Bloomberg is out there trying to win the black vote in 2020, he's on tape in 2015 talking about black people like they're crime pinatas. Just throw them against the wall, see what comes out. Yeah, could be a gun, could be a Tootsie Roll, it's fun. <laughs> this is not a good look. Getting caught on tape encouraging police to harass black people is definitely gonna hurt you with black voters. It's the same way you would lose white voters if a tape came out of you saying that pets aren't the same as babies. Yeah, <laughs> all the pumpkin spice in the world can't save you after that. White people would be mad. This is my baby. Now, if it was just one bad audio clip, maybe, maybe Mike Bloomberg could get past it and move on. The problem is, Mayor Mike has a long history of defending stop and frisk, and now even video clips are coming out. And yet another video clip drops tonight, purporting to show Mayor Mike Bloomberg discussing hot topics with racial overtones. They just keep saying, oh, it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular ethnic group. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much and minorities too little. Yeah. According to Mike Bloomberg, white people were the real victims of stop and frisk. Imagine that. Black people and Latinos spent years, years, saying that they were being harassed by the police. And Bloomberg's response was, I hear you. We have been unfair to white people. <laughs> it almost feels like if, if Bloomberg was Abraham Lincoln, he would have ended slavery, but for the totally wrong reason, be like, we need to end this cruel abomination. Too many white people are getting carpal tunnel in their whipping hands. We've <laughs> gotta help them. 
Now, since these clips came out, Bloomberg has been facing a lot of pressure to explain himself. And uh, something tells me he's tr struggling with uh, how to respond. Campaigning in Tennessee today, Michael Bloomberg um, expressed regret for comments from 2015 about New York City's controversial stop-and-frisk policy. Mr. Mayor, why did you say what you said in that 2015 speech? Um... I can safely say I've never seen the three typing dots in real life. <laughs> Look at him. You, you never see him like this. Mike Bloomberg hasn't been this stre stressed since he got into that fight in the subway. But, <laughs> but my bad, I shouldn't have interrupted. I'll let him answer. I don't think those words reflect what, uh, how I led the most diverse city in the nation. And uh, I apologized for the uh, practice and the pain that it caused. But why uh, did but you say it? It was uh, five years ago. And, um, you know, it's just not the way that I think. And it does not the way, it doesn't reflect what I do every day. Yeah, of course it doesn't reflect what you do every day. You're not the mayor anymore. Nobody thinks you're stopping and frisking black people on your personal time. <laughs> I mean, mostly because you can't reach their pockets, but... <laughs> but also, it's weird that he tries to dismiss those clips by saying it was five years ago. Five years? W what difference is that supposed to make for you? Huh? Look, five years ago, I was just a 72-year-old man. I didn't know any better. <laughs> I'm much older now, which automatically makes you less racist. <laughs> But clearly, the comments in those clips do reflect what Bloomberg was doing as mayor, right? For the simple reason that it's what he did as mayor. You don't have to be a genius to figure this out. As much as Bloomberg is trying to reposition himself now that he needs the support of black voters, he encouraged his police department to treat black people like they were all criminals. And even as he keeps trying to apologize, he's never really taking responsibility for what he did. You know, he apologizes for pieces. Oh, that, well, I ran a diverse place. He's not saying sorry for what he actually did. It would be like if you got caught cheating and your apology was, babe, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't delete those messages from my phone. I should have hid them better. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I should have smashed in a hotel instead of our bed. You're right, you're right. <laughs> I mess, I've learned my lesson, yeah, yeah. Your friends are off limits. From now on, strangers only, baby. <laughs> strangers only. <laughs> so that's where Mike Bloomberg is now. As much as he tries to move forward and get out of this, reporters won't let the story go. They keep hassling him at events, questioning him about his motives, just trying to find any little thing that he's done wrong. It must be so frustrating for him. And to that, I say, Mike Bloomberg, welcome to the world of Stop and Frisk. We'll be right back. which means it's Black History Month. And we're celebrating all month long with Roy Wood Jr. honoring the unsung heroes of black history in another episode of CP Time. Ah, welcome to CP Time, the only show that's for the culture. Today, we'll be talking about the history of black entertainers. I know these days you can see black performers on all the biggest stages, the MTV Awards, the Grammys, and even on Broadway. 
I once paid $1,000 for tickets to see Hamilton. Turns out they was fake. Apparently they don't print Broadway tickets on the back of Jamba Juice receipts. Lesson learned. But what a lot of people don't know is that back in the day, the biggest stages and best venues only allowed white performers. And so many black performers actually got their start on the Chitlin Circuit, which was the name given to a network of theaters and clubs where black performers could play for black audiences. It was like BET, but without all the Martin reruns. The Chitlin Circuit was first established in Indianapolis by Denver Ferguson, a man who looks like Chris Rock in the new season of Fargo. Ferguson started the Chitlin Circuit as a way to launder money from illegal lottery games, but it unexpectedly became a huge success. That's right, by trying to break the law, Ferguson accidentally started an artistic revolution. It was like the time I tried to vandalize my ex-wife's apartment and ended up launching the street art movement, banks in my ass. <laughs> the Chitlin Circuit went on to launch the careers of legends like Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, and Duke Ellington. Without Duke Ellington, we wouldn't have legends like Kenny G. The boy may look funny, but I made all my favorite children to the sound of his saxophone. G is for God damn, that's smooth. Mm. I actually have tickets to see Kenny G this weekend. Oh wait, these are for Lenny G. Ain't that a bit. I gotta stop buying my tickets from Uber drivers. It's good seats though. The Chitlin Circuit also launched one of the biggest crossover artists of all time, Little Richard. We all remember his smash hit, Tutti Frutti. Everyone was singing a wop, bop, a loobop, a wop, bam, boom. But what you might not know is that Little Richard had to rewrite the original lyrics to Tutti Frutti to make them less sexually charged for white audiences. The original lyrics to the song went like this. These are the real lyrics. Tutti Frutti, good booty. If it don't fit, don't force it. You can grease it. God damn, Little Richard, you're filthy. And I like it. Another man who was vital to the success of the Chitlin Circuit was Don Roby, a music promoter and the first black music mogul. Unfortunately, Roby did not have the best reputation. He was known as the gangster of gospel because on several occasions, he pulled a gun on gospel artists and demanded their publishing rights. That's right, he held up gospel singers. In fact, that's where gospel singers got this move from. Don't you? Oh, Lord, Jesus. Don Roby's ruthless business tactics paved the way for black record moguls like Suge Knight, a man who I have nothing bad to say about because I do not like being murdered. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Roy Wood Jr. This has been CP Time. Remember, before the culture, and here to play us out, the one and only Lenny G. Hit it, Lenny. Mm. Ooh, I feel another baby coming on. Where would you and everybody? We'll be right back.
back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an actor, comedian, and co-creator of the hit Netflix series, Big Mouth. His new movie is called Olympic Dreams. Please welcome Nick Kroll. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, this is one of the stranger movies that I've watched and I enjoyed it. Oh, good. I really did. Uh, thank you. Because, because it's a, it's, for, there were moments when I was watching, I was like, wait, it, when it starts, it's like, is this a documentary? And yeah. I was like, no, this is, I was like, that's Nick Kroll. And, yes. then, and, then, the, and then the film goes on. And just, just to help me understand here, this is a movie about you, you're playing a dentist. Correct. I'm not an actual dentist right. in real life. You're playing a dentist who is at the Winter Olympics. Yes but all of this actually happened at the Winter Olympics. Yeah, so um, I made this movie with a, a couple, Alexi Pappas and Jeremy Teicher. Alexi is a summer Olympian. Uh -huh. uh, she ran at Rio. Uh, they got a grant from the Olympic Committee to go and uh, make some art at the Winter Games. Um, they brought me in uh, to be a part of it, and I helped them sort of shape the script a little bit. About two weeks before the Olympics, I signed on to do it. Then we flew to Korea, and shot a movie, just the three of us, no crew, inside of the Olympics. No, wait, no crew? No crew, it was just the three of us. So I was lugging a dentist chair around <laughs> Korea uh, because we had no crew because we were shooting inside the Olympic Village. Right. So they don't give out passes to very many people to get inside of the Olympic Village. Right. Because we were part of the Olympics, we had access to uh, elements of the Olympic Games that nobody's ever really seen before. I've, I've never seen pieces of the Olympic Village the way I saw them in this film. It, like, I've, I've watched documentaries about the Olympics. Mm. I've seen behind the scenes, before the events. Mm -hmm. you, you never see the Olympic Village like where the athletes just eat. Yeah, we You were... have real athletes in the movie as well. Like... Yeah, I'm the only, I mean, Alexi's an actor, as in addition to being an Olympian, um, every other actor in the film is an actual Olympian who was there competing at the time. Wow. So those guys that I was interviewing are real snowboarders who were on the Olympic team, and I'm a dentist giving them dental exams <laughs> and interviewing them about their experiences. Like one girl had been called up, she didn't make the Olympics, and then got a call halfway through the Olympics that someone had been injured and she was getting called up to then appear at the Olympic Games and showed up in the middle. Wait, so help me understand this though. So people there thought you were a real dentist. Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, although I, I get it. If they saw me, they'd be like, yeah, that guy looks like a dentist. <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, no, they knew, they knew that they were part of a, a, a fictional it, film. Got it, got it, all right, all but, right, cool. Uh, but while, but I was also dressed as a volunteer in that yes, volunteer right. jacket. Um, so we would be in the middle of shooting scenes and then people would come up and it'd be like an emotional scene. And then someone would come up and be like, can you tell me how to get to the dining hall? Cause I looked like a volunteer. Right. And so we would sort of be like, uh, I think you go left. And I'd be like, I don't know what we're going to do in our relationship, you know, because we were, <laughs> you know, cause our direct Jeremy, who was shooting it and was also the sound man and also the cameraman and all the bags on and shooting the film. He was like on a long lens, like 30, 40 feet away. So people didn't know that we were even filming the movie. So it was very easy to drop in, but, and also we had no crew. So nobody quite knew what we were doing. This is an insane way to shoot a movie. It was an insane way to spend like two and a half weeks. It right. was so cold, it was what insane. Did, what did it feel like to be definitively the least athletic person? <laughs> in like a mile radius. Uh, like everyone else there's an athlete, everyone. And I mean everyone. Everywhere, and then yeah. there's you. Well, Mike, Pe Mike Pence was there as well. <laughs> uh, he was so at the Olympics. Was. 
Yes. Yeah. He looking was. Okay. Thick. Looking <laughs> thick. Um, he can feel you saying that. Stop it. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Big Mouth. Yeah. One of my favorite shows of all time, animated series on Netflix. And I remember when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, this is just gonna be a cartoon, this is gonna be funny jokes. Mm. And it, it's actually a really educational show that I wish I got the chance to watch as a prepubescent teen or even younger. Because I mean, like, you're teaching kids about sex, you're teaching kids about like hormones growing up, mm-hmm. like, you know, gender dynamics, everything. Uh, the show's just been renewed for a third season. Yes. No, three more seasons, three actually. More se- yes. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Three more seasons. I'm truly fascinated about how you even began to think about a show doing what it's doing right now. Uh, well, you know, part of the way I thought of it was I didn't, um, in that <laughs> my partners, Andrew Goldberg and, and uh, Mark Levin and Jen Flackett, brought me the idea. Andrew right. and I had grown up together uh, since first grade. We've known each other. He went on to become a writer for Family Guy. They brought me the idea about a show about two kids going through puberty based on me and Andrew's life. And I was a very late bloomer. He was a very early bloomer. And uh, the, he, his parents waxed his upper lip when he had like... Oh, Lord. Was, and so, and they waxed his upper lip and pulled it off. And so for years, he couldn't grow any <laughs> facial hair. He could grow a full beard by the age of like 13 and nothing here. So we called it his reverse Hitler. Um, and... So we figured it was, it just felt like ripe to do a show about puberty. And then it's sort of, as we've continued to grow it, realized it's really this show, not only about these two boys, but about a bunch of different boys and girls and, and sexual development and adolescence and puberty on a much grander scale of what we're all going through and the things that happen to us in that period of life, how they then stay with us. Like, you know, we have these hormone monsters and in season two, we have a shame wizard. Yep. Uh, and and these things are foundational for who we become for the rest of our lives. I, I honestly hope that there would be schools in America where they would get kids to watch the show as part of their curriculum. Because I think it's great sex ed, and it's fun if you're a kid. It's, it's like, it's not... It's yeah. not, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not soft in any way. It's, it's really hardcore. Yeah. But you, you, you learn things that you think about as a kid. Yeah. Like I thought about, the, well, the shame monster pops out yeah. when this kid is masturbating all the time. <laughs> and I was like, anyone who's masturbated knows that feeling yeah. of just like, oh, shame Yeah, on yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was actually talking to Mike Pence about that and... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Don't do it! Don't do it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having Olympic me. Dreams will be in theaters and on demand February 14th. Nick Kroll, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.